All right, so here's the deal, man. Like, again, just like first service, like I don't know if you guys were here for the first service, but for the first service, um, we kind of laid some groundwork. And so we drew this picture up on the wall, or up on the, yeah, up on the, whatever you want to call this thing, right? We, we drew it up here, and we made a case, like we talked just clearly about what Scripture teaches on whether or not spiritual gifts are in play for us. And so if you're familiar with spiritual gifts, like we're going to put those, can we put those gifts back up on the screen if that's okay? And we're just going to put those gifts up. And so we, we kind of played out like the two camps, the cessationists, people who believe that the gifts are done, like they're over with, that they were only for a time. And I, I do believe that there's some truth in that because it, it, it allows us to figure out some problems with Acts 2, 3, and 4. All right. The other side of that, though, is like where they believe that the gifts have ceased. Like we kind of laid out in Scripture from 1 Corinthians 13, where we don't we don't buy into that. Like we believe it's very difficult by reading 1 Corinthians 13 to see that the that the gifts have ceased. And so there's no need for me to go back into that. Like there's no way we don't have time to do that. But if you want to watch it on the on, it'll be up online tonight or tomorrow at the latest, and you can kind of watch that. But we're building on top of that. So we've laid the foundation work that we believe that the gifts are full in play. And now we've got to figure out why they're in play, all right? Because learning the why behind something allows you to move in it. It, it is that way for me. Like, if you tell me to go do something, I'm not going to do it because I'm just rebellious like that. But if you give me a good why that I can buy into, you'll get all of me. And so what I want to do is I want to play out the why for you in this, all right? And so what we're going to do is we're looking at the, the gifts here. And so depending on who you are or what you read, there's about 21 to 22 gifts with a lot of sub-gifts, all right? And so first service, we establish that the gifts are in play. Second service, I'm going to establish why they're in play, all right? And, and the challenge that we're going to do is, is like what we laid out in the first service, we said, listen, like if we tell you that you have the gift of helping, you're not going to argue with that. Or if the Lord was to reveal, you, to reveal to you that you have, the, you have a gift of serving, you may not argue with that because it's part of our culture. Like if the Lord says that you've got a gift of leadership, awesome, because the way the Sunday's built needs leadership. If the Lord says to you, man, you have the gift of faith, awesome. We're supposed to, right? That's kind of culture too. If the Lord says, man, that you have the gift of miracles, then you're going, hold up. Whoa. Like, I, I've seen this stuff on TV, man. Come on. Right? And if the Lord was to say to you, hey, here's the deal. You actually have the gift of encouraging celibacy. You're like, hold up. Right? What if the Lord was to say to you, man, that you have the gift of healing? What if the Lord said to you, man, that you have the gift of tongues? And so where this has stretched me is that when I full-on believe that the tongues are in, or that the gifts are in play, then I can't take one of the list and leave the rest of it out. Does that make sense? Like, I can't take the ones that I want and leave the rest of them out. And so I've got to embrace them all. Now, I grew up, Bapt I grew up Catholic, right? And then I grew up Baptist. And I'm telling you that what I'm teaching on today has never been taught to me. Like, what you're going to see on a video probably has never been taught to you if you grew up in the world that I grew up in. But I want to lay the foundation for why the gifts are given. And what I want to do is I want to use the, the gift of tongues to do it. Is that fair? So I want to take the most con one of the most controversial ones, and I want to lay out a foundation of why the gifts have been given to us to begin with. 
Because if you're like me, man, like here's the gift of tongues. It's just a bunch of nonsense, a bunch of mumbo jumbo. People are just talking. I can't understand what you're saying. Like, how is it supposed to help anything, right? I've heard it said this way this week. Somebody has their gift. Somebody has their gift. Let's let everybody just use their gift and never be done. Which is a, a way of saying, hey, man, like, like, let's just keep everybody to themselves, maybe. I don't know. And so what I do, man, is I'm going to ask the Lord to come join us. And then we're going to walk through the why. Is that fair? And so, Lord, again, just like first service, you know that I have the full tendency to screw this up. Like, I've got the full tendency to say, man, that I've got this. And, Lord, you have taught me well to quit doing that. But yet I keep doing it. And so, Lord, I find no better thing to do than to give you honor before we start to ask you in the name of your son to not let me screw this up. That people would walk out of here knowing more of you. They would love you more for it. Their hearts would be turned towards you. That they would be encouraged. Man, like Paul says in Ephesians 1, he says, may the eyes of their heart be open so that they may know you more. And so, Lord, don't let me hurt that. Don't let me mess that up. Man, protect them from anything that I say that's wrong, Lord. And again, open their eyes of their heart, Lord, for what you need to know, what they need to know so that you will, they will know you more. And everyone in this house said, Amen. So here's the goal. <clears throat> like if you're like me, and you look at the gifts, there are gifts that you like, and there are gifts that you like, man, those things are too weird for me. Like they're too ethereal. Like that's how I kind of roll. I love to teach things that are concrete. It's hard for me to teach things that are ethereal. All right? But man, I'm telling you, the Lord is going to blow your mind because he blew mine. And so if I'm sitting there going, okay, let's take the one that's, that's the most difficult. Let's take one that's, that's difficult. Maybe not the most, but one that's difficult. Let's take this idea of speaking in tongues and ask ourselves, like, Lord, like, tell me why. Like, why would you even give this as a gift? Like, why would you give any of these? Like, why would you make another list? Like, why this list particularly? Like, why this list, list of gifts? Man, and teach me. Like, take the one that I understand the least and teach me these things. And man, as surely as the Lord lives, man, he taught me well. And so, if we're going to talk about the gifts of tongues, man, I think, I think one thing that can help us out just a little bit, right, is to understand this idea, is that the gift of tongues can also be translated very simply as the gift of languages. All right? The word for that that you'll find every time is used glossa, and it simply means language. So it's like the gift of languages, and so in my mind, I'm still like, okay, this doesn't really help me. Like, how does this make sense? Like, well, why would you do this? Because I can't understand it. But man, here's my thinking. My thinking is always too small. Like the Lord is always way ahead of me, and he's way larger than anything that I can comprehend. And so let's just walk through something. Let's walk through the very beginning of how things rolled. Let's take Genesis 1, for example. Like what we see in Genesis 1, as soon as you open it up, is you see that the Spirit of God 
is hovering over the planet. It says that the world is formless and it is dark and it is void, but yet the Spirit is there. Genesis 2, we move on. What do we find in Genesis 2? We see the Lord go, you know what? It's not good for man to be alone. Like, it's not good for there not to be a man, and then it's not good for man to be alone. So what does he do? He creates Adam and who? Eve. Now, we talked about Adam and Eve a little bit in the first service. Like, Adam and Eve lived in what we would call perfection. Like, as the world goes, the world's broken. We're headed back to a place of perfection. But Adam and Eve lived there first. Like, if you remember, there was no killing. Like, there was no bloodshed. The animals ate weeds. They ate grass. Like, nobody killed each other. Like, they call it perfect peace, perfect shalom. Like, that's how the thing played out. Now, let me ask you this. When Adam and Eve were alive, how many languages were there? One. You want to take a guess at how many languages there are today? Anybody want to yell out a number for fun? 2,000? Higher. 50? A little lower. 30? We'll go with this. There's 6,500 languages, known languages in the, in the world right now. All right? When it started out with Adam and Eve, there was just one. Because they only needed one. Does that make sense? And so Adam and Eve has one language. So guess what happens? When Adam and Eve is with their creator, they speak to him in one language. That's it. All praise is in one language. All telling God how awesome he is, one language. All asking God how he did this, one language. Now let's go a little further. We get to Genesis 3. Anybody remember what happens in Genesis 3? Sin enters the world. The way it's laid out for us is that everything breaks. Everything fractures. Like this realm of perfection no longer exists. Like bad things happen to the world. The Lord's like, hey, no longer will the grass just grow for you. Like, you're going to have to start working it. Like, it's why you got to put fertilizer on your lawns, right? It's because it no longer does what it's supposed to do. He says, here's the thing. Like, women, you're going to bear the pain of childbirth from here on out. Men, you've got to work. Like, that's part of your deal. And you're not going to enjoy it anymore. And everything breaks. We no longer live long term. Like, fractures as beautiful as you see the world like if you're standing in front of the grand canyon it's fractured it's all broken but how many languages are there still there's just one there's no other people besides adam and eve there's just still one language and so if you're thinking correctly the only thing that hasn't been fractured is language are you with me now let's track down just a little bit further you got your Bibles, we're going to keep on moving. The Lord tells them to be fruitful and multiply. Things are going okay. We get to Genesis 6. If you're familiar with Genesis 6, bad things have happened. Men left their own devices, bad things happen. Everyone in this room, when left to your own devices, bad things happen. All right? I would ask you that apart from Jesus, 
He says there's no life. And so I would always ask you, how well is your life going for you right now apart from him? Same thing plays out over and over. We get to Genesis 6, verse 5. It says, the Lord, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. I mean, some people will say this is prophetic. And so what happens here? Like if you're familiar with Genesis, Genesis 6, the Lord's like, man, here's the deal. Like, I'm sorry that I even made man because this is how their response is. Like, I didn't create you for this. Like, I've created you for so much more than every idea of your heart being wicked. And so it says men had grieved his soul. And so he wipes out the entire generation of people. Like, the flood comes. Now, who gets saved? Noah. Noah, his wife, his sons, and their daughters. Now, let's think clearly. How many languages do we have? One. Exactly. I'm going to write this down again. Genesis 6. We still only have one language. Only one language used to praise the name of the Lord. Are you tracking with me? Let's move forward. We get into Genesis Chapter 8, the Lord makes a new covenant with Noah. Chapter 9, everybody begins to multiply. You get to chapter 10, it's called the table of nations, and the world begins to become populated. Everything is being populated with people. Like if you read through this, chapter 10 is an entire chapter of names that you and I can't pronounce, right? How many languages are there? One. One language. We move to Genesis 11. Now, if you've got a Bible, I would ask you to open it up and read it with me. Parts of it will be on the screen. But you get to Genesis 11, and here's what it says. Verse 1. Now, the whole world had one language and one common speech. So even in this season, the name of the Lord, with all these nations that loved him, if they did, praised him with one voice. Are you tracking? And once again, it says, verse 2, as people moved eastward, they found a plain of Shinar, and so they settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And so here you have the entire table of nations. How many languages do they speak? One. And they came together to say, let us make a name for us. The rest of that chapter goes, the Lord comes down and he says, man, I've already done this. Like, I've already seen what happens when people want to make a name for themselves. Like, I've already watched this with Adam and Eve. I've watched this with Noah. But the deal with with Noah is that I promise never to wipe out the world again. And so, because I've chosen that way, this time will be different. And it says the Lord comes down. And what does he do? 
He says, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from here all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now how many languages do we have? Tons. The final thing gets fractured. The last thing gets broken. So there's no more unifying voice of giving God His glory. And then you travel down to Genesis chapter 12 and it says the call of Abraham. And it says, the Lord says to Abraham, go from your country to your, from your people and from your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, here's the story. Out of all the languages to speak, the Lord had to choose one to communicate with Abraham. And so through the language of one, Abraham becomes the father of Israel. And everywhere you go from this point on, Israel has an entire different language than everybody else. Everybody else, all the tables of nations have their own language. And so when they bump up against each other because there's no common language, they fight all the time. That's all you see is fight and warfare. No peace. No common language. And we'll take it even further. Like you don't read of where the nation of Israel was some great evangelistic country. Like people didn't want their God. They wanted to destroy them. And you don't see Israel reaching out to them. They all spoke different languages. Are you tracking? And now there's only one language that gets the name of the Lord. And so why is this so important to us? Like why, why, why does this become important for us? Because if you think clearly, like let's just keep moving. All right, let's keep moving in this idea of languages. So this is the way it works for everyone from here on out. Every nation has their own language, no common language. No peace, no bonds. Just conquer and warfare until you get to where? Pentecost. And in Pentecost, it says one of the things that happened was that everybody began to understand again. And so the Lord allows their confusion to stop. Why? Like, why does he allow this? Do you remember how we talked through Acts chapter 2 and it says that there was some devout Jew from every nation under heaven that day? Like, the Lord totally set them up. Like, on this day, what they heard was in their language was there were people praising the name of God in their own language. And so when they started praising God, it said that there were 3,000 of them that came to know Jesus as their Savior. And so in this, they go back to their own homelands in their own common language and they begin to, to, to know who Jesus is. And the first time they understand that Jesus came after them, like they begin to understand this and, Lord, and the Lord begins to restore the brokenness that had to happen in Genesis 6. Why is this so important? Because man, we got to think even bigger than this right? 
Like, what is the Lord doing? Like, we only see pieces of the puzzle until the puzzle gets put together. So what is the Lord doing? He's taking them even a step further. Like, if you're familiar with the story of how this thing plays out, like if you open your word to Revelation 7, You start in verse 9. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, from every tribe, every people group, and every language, they stood before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, And they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now church, look past the righteousness of the white robes. Look past the palms of their victory. And look into the fact that from this point on, all of the tribes of the world are worshiping the Lord in one voice. Like everything that broke has now been replaced and that all of us stand before the Lord with one language speaking praise to Him. So why does this play out in the voice of tongues? Why does this play out in the gift of languages? Because the Lord is reminding you that He's going to start it over and that everything that has been broke will be put back into place and that there will come a day where every one of us will stand before Him with only one language and all peoples will worship His name. That's why the gift exists. It's a precursor. It's a foreshadowing. It's a looking as if in the mirror that one day the Lord will put it all back together and there is a language that he will know and that you will know and will all make sense. It will be a common ground for all of us in the room. And it's why the gift is so important because it gives you something to look forward to. It's no different than the rest of the gifts. The reason administration is a gift is because when it was in play in perfection, everything was rolling and now it's in chaos. And so when you use your gift of administration, what you're saying to the world is that I'm putting it back in order because one day Jesus will put it all back for us. When you use your gift of marriage, What you're telling the world is that just as the Father and the Son are one, so in the end days we will all be known and He will fully know us just like there's oneness in the marriage. Just like in your gift of leadership and in your gift of celibacy, they are all precursors of the Lord going to restore everything that's been broken. And that's why the gift of tongues is so important for us. The Lord says clearly, man, it's not for the whole body. It's for you, the ones who've been gifted this, so that when it happens to you, you will know that I am the Lord and that I will restore all things. It's why in 1 Corinthians 14, he's like, man, when your spirit engages in the tongue, your mind disengages so you won't screw it up because it's a perfect language to the angels of the spirit reporting the progress of the end time stuff. It is a crazy thing. But I will tell you that Paul is clear with us when he says, Man, there are gifts that are all important. 
And so although I use the gift of tongues to explain all of them, I would say to you that you have been given your gift. It is irrevocable and there could be multiples of them. But the reason you have been given it is a reminder to you to know that the Lord will fix what he has promised. And so you've got to use it. You've got to figure out what it is and then use it. And there are people here who can help you with that. But if you choose not to use it, then what you choose to say is that, man, this day is not coming. Like if I choose not to use my gift of teaching, then I choose to tell you that this day is not coming. But the times that I choose to use it, then I will tell you that this day is on its way and that it's coming for all of us. When you use your gift of tongues, what you're telling the world, everyone who's watching, angels and demons alike, is that the Lord is who he says he is. And one day we will all stand before his throne with one voice saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain and salvation is his alone. That's how this works. When you use your gift, you proclaim the gospel to everyone who is watching you. And it tells you clearly in Ephesians and in Hebrews that there's a whole realm of people watching you that you cannot see but the reason they watch you is so that you will proclaim the promises of he who said he will finish it and he will finish it in you does this make sense amen Amen. and so here's what i want to do like there's a thousand things that we can say about this but what i want to do is i want to show you a video because now you have a box for this you have a text for this and i want to show you a video of a girl who just recently got the gift of tongues or the gift of languages It shouldn't freak you out when you understand from Genesis to Revelation why it's designed to be that way. Because here's the deal. It used to freak me out. But now I understand that it's full on power of the Lord going, he is who he says he is. And he finishes what he says he finishes. And all of these gifts, although they're not full and can be jacked up, right? You'll have to watch the first service to understand it. They can be jacked up. They are a precursor so that you will know that this time is coming. Yeah. And so, man, yeah, you can applaud that. We're going to watch a video. We'll watch a video of um, this story, and then the band's going to come. We'll talk just a little bit more, and then we're going to baptize some folks. Is that fair? All right. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, because there's so much to, to say here. But, man, we've got to kind of land the plane. But here's what he says, and he's speaking to everyone in this room. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 27. He just finished chastising the church for thinking that their gifts are more important than somebody else's. And here's what he says. He says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. That means each one of you is a part of it. And the God has placed in the church his apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all going to be apostles? Are all going to be prophets? Are all going to be teachers? Do all work miracles? He's saying, no. Not all of you are going to do these things. He says, do all have the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. He says, men eagerly desire the gifts so that people will know that there's a God in heaven. Yeah? Yeah? 